You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. When we're on the air Monday... Rightfully so. We will talk 95% about the National Football League, mostly about the Jets, mostly about still recapping how awful the Giants are. So I figured throughout the MLB playoffs, on a day in which there are a bunch of baseball games going on, I figured since I'm not going to really be able to talk about it on the air, and Joe doesn't really care, he's honest about it, how little he cares about the MLB playoffs, I figured I'd give you some of my analysis if you find it interesting. Hopefully you do, or else why the hell did you download the podcast? Maybe you got confused. Maybe you thought it was something else. But I'd give you a little analysis of the MLB playoffs. You know I'm a baseball geek. You know I love this stuff. I can't get enough of it. There is actually an appreciation I have that the Mets suck because when the Mets are in the playoffs, those rare times they've been there, these games are incredibly stressful. And when the Mets aren't there, you're able to sit back and relax. Now, I also want to be honest about something. And I mentioned this during the Saturday show that after the Red Sox-Astro game, I'd record a podcast and give you my thoughts on the Dodger-Brewer game, my thoughts on the Red Sox-Astro game. This Red Sox-Astro game is actually not even over. I am taking a leap of faith that when Julie Gurriel hit his three-run home run, in the ninth inning off of Brandon Workman that broke the game open. I am taking the leap of faith after three hours and 45 minutes of baseball, which we're about to get into, that the Red Sox are not going to stage any kind of crazy rally. Now, just in case, since I am beginning the recording, basically Gurriel's home run is just nestled into the seats, and I ran upstairs and said, all right, I'm doing this thing. I do have my iPad on just in case. All right, so just in case this game gets crazy, the podcast is going to change live as it happens. But I'm going to assume that the Astros are going to hold on and win game one. And I want to start with this ALCS game. I'll get to the Dodgers and Brewers in a second. First of all, this was a very tough game to watch. And I think I speak for a lot of baseball fans when I say, when you get one of those non-contact games... When you get one of those games where very few balls are put in play, you get a lot of strikeouts, but more than even the strikeouts, just a lot of walks in this game. A lot of hit batsmen in this game. Until Gurriel hit that home run, you were talking about a game that had six runs, had like five hits, had a bunch of errors, a lot of walks, a ton of hit batsmen. It was a weird, ugly-ish kind of game that's really the way this game played and we start with sale on the Red Sox end of things 
Chris Sale was very shaky. You could see early his velocity was way down and his control was way off. He walked the leadoff hitter in this game, George Springer, and it was actually a long at-bat. Springer is impossible to get out right now. It's incredible what he's done, not only in this postseason, but dating back to the last four games of the World Series when he was hitting a home run every time up. But Sale really had to labor in this game. And you go to the second inning when he gets the first two guys out, he walks Carlos Correa, who is a mess right now. I know he ends up getting a hit in this game, but really Correa in the second half of the year with the back issue, with the time that he missed, he just doesn't look like the same player. And all you need to do is look at where he's sitting in the lineup. There's a reason A.J. Hinch is hitting the guy seventh. He's not the same guy. But still, walks Correa. He hits Maldonado, which you can't do. Martin Maldonado is there for one reason. He's there for his defense. He's certainly not there for his stick. Now, he can run into a home run every once in a while, but we're not exactly talking about Johnny Bench back there offensively. And Sale hits him, and then he walks Josh Reddick. And that was the ultimate warning sign early in this game that this was not the same Chris Sale. He's not throwing strikes. He's facing the bottom of the Astro order. I know Carlos Correa in name value is a tough guy to get out, but he's been a mess lately. Hits Maldonado, like I mentioned, walks Josh Reddick, and when Springer comes up, there is not a doubt in my mind he's doing some kind of damage. Now, the negative is that Chris Sale got him to hit a ground ball to third base, and Eduardo Nunez, who has been all over this postseason either making incredible defensive plays or making plays that remind you and remind every Yankee fan out there why he would drive you nuts because even though it's a hit, and I'm not saying it should have been scored an error. I'm a tough marker, if you know what I mean. I'm a tough marker when it comes to scoring. It is a base hit, but it's also a play that you could make. And Fox, not Fox, TBS, that's right, TBS does the game. TBS later on showed a replay that showed you that Nunez basically fell down on it. Now, give Springer credit. He put bat on ball. He hit the ball hard. It gets past Nunez, and it's a 2-0 game. And the story of George Springer right now is remarkable. And I forget who said this to me. It may have been a caller to our show. That if George Springer played in New York, if he was a Met, if he was a Yankee, the statue would have already been built. (laughs) Not just what he did in the World Series last year. But what he's done so far in this postseason, the games against the Indians, and what he did to start off and really set the tone for this ALCS with the two-run single. But here's where Cora had to make a very tough call. And that was clearly Chris Sale doesn't have it. It's still a close game. It's a 2-0 game. You are facing Justin Verlander, but you're not down 8-0. How long do you stick with Chris Sale? And I admit, when Sale walked Bregman to lead off the third inning, And I think he then fell behind Gurriel, if I'm not mistaken. His pitch count is very high. He's clearly not the same Chris Sale. I thought right then and there it would have been interesting for Cora to pull him. And I had two thoughts about it. Not that I want to ever be in a rush to go to the Red Sox bullpen, and Cora should never be in a rush to go to his bullpen. But I was actually eyeing, hey, if I could get Sale out of this game, I've got his pitch count low, I get him out, Maybe I could bring him back if the situation dictates. And by the way, spoiler alert, I think the situation is going to dictate it, if you know what I mean, with where I think this series is going. But you do bring that option of getting Chris Sale back on short rest or even using him as a weapon out of the bullpen in one of the upcoming games. You just have more flexibility. 
But Cora stuck with him, and he was sort of rewarded in that after that walk to Bregman, he retired the next five guys. But his pitch count was up there, and Cora ended up making the decision to pull him to start the fifth inning, which I kind of get. Chris Sale, with the few amount of innings he threw with the two stints on the deal in the second half of the year, you got to ask yourself starting the fifth inning, even though he had retired five straight, and he got a help on the caught stealing. Leon makes the great throw to Dale Bregman at second base. How much more were you getting out of Chris Sale? And the answer was, at best, you're getting one more inning out of him. I mean, you're not asking Chris Sale to throw 115 pitches. It's not happening. It's not happening. So I didn't mind Cora pulling him to start the fifth inning, but I did think long and hard in that third inning when he walked Bregman, and so did Cora because he had Joe Kelly warming up. He had Joe Kelly warming up a couple of times of getting Chris Sale out of this game either to to keep him fresh potentially for game four, but maybe even more than that, to be able to use him in the role that he used him against the Yankees in game four, where maybe, and it's definitely not going to be tomorrow night, but maybe in game three, you never know. Things can change in this series, and desperation can change in this series, especially if they're down. You may have that that tinge if you're Cora to try to bring him back on short rest. But Sale gets out of the game after four, How do you define the outing? I'd say he didn't implode, and that's a good thing. He only gave up one hit, but he walked four guys, and he hit a guy. (laughs) So he did have six base runners in the four innings that he threw. And the Red Sox bullpen, you know, wasn't awful until late in this game. It really wasn't. And, And that's kind of a surprise that this is the part of the Red Sox team that you look at as a major, major weakness. It never really imploded against the Yankees. It wasn't dominant against the Yankees, but it never really imploded against the Yankees. And tonight, it didn't implode until the ninth inning when the game got out of hand. On the other side, Verlander was Verlander. You know, he puts a couple of guys on base in the first inning, gets a big double play against Xander Bogarts, and right after that, he just went into domination mode. You know, he went into... Verlander mode, one, two, three, second, one, two, three, third, one, two, three, fourth, and then the Red Sox got to him in that fifth inning, and what was surprising about it was it was all about control. That's all it was about. I mean, they didn't hit him hard. They only had one hit in the inning. Steve Pierce let off the fifth inning with a base hit. That was it. That was the only hit they got against him. He's walking Nunez, which was a surprise. He's walking Jackie Bradley in a very long at-bat. And what was surprising about the Bradley at-bat, or not the Bradley at-bat, it was the Leon at-bat, is that he walks a guy with the bases loaded, which Verlander hadn't done in three years. It had been three years since he walked a guy with the bases loaded to drive a run in. And then after he gets a big ground out against Mookie, Mookie went after the very first pitch, grounds out the third. He throws a freaking wild pitch, and that's how the Red Sox tie the game. But after they tie the game, this is my thought going into the sixth inning, and this is my thought whenever you play a great team, and the Astros are a great team, and there's a reason why the Astros should win this series. I don't care how many wins the Red Sox had. I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. This is the defending world champions who are coming off a 103-win regular season and a domination of the Indians. But I always think about this. I call this pulling a 98 Yankees. What the 98 Yankees always did so well is when the other team scored, they answered every time. Or at least it felt that way. It felt like they answered every time. So in the sixth inning, 
as that inning is beginning, and I finally caught up because I actually started the game about 45 minutes late on DVR. I needed to give my wife a lot of time. All right, and I can't just say at 8 o'clock, all right, we're going right to Red Sox Astros. I needed to watch another episode of Total Divas with her. I'm called a good husband, okay? So I finally caught up at this point. I'm live, so I'm actually sitting through a commercial break. And when we start the sixth inning, and on the mound at the time is, was Joe Kelly still in the game? Yeah, Joe Kelly was still in the game. That's right. Kelly's in the game. Middle of the order. 3-4-5 for the Astros. You got to get through this inning. You can't give the Astros the lead right back. You can't hand it right back to Justin Verlander. And this was fascinating. All right, so Joe Kelly's a little bit of a hothead. And the Red Sox fans love it. The Yankee fans think he's a douche. We all get it. Bregman steps out what appears to be late. And he's granted time by James Hoy, who had a very inconsistent strike zone today. What else is no? I mean, what umpire doesn't have an inconsistent strike zone? So Bregman steps out late. Kelly throws the pitch anyway. You can tell Kelly's annoyed. Coincidentally, he hits Bregman with the very next pitch. And my thought here is, if he did it on purpose, he is a colossal schmuck. That, that's really what's going through my mind. And when I saw the replay, I'm not convinced he did it on purpose because of the way the ball tailed inside, and then the trainer comes out to check on him. So I'm not convinced he did it on purpose. But if he did, he is a colossal, colossal schmuck. It's a tie game. You just came back. Who cares how late Alex Bregman called timeout? And by the way, Alex Bregman doesn't exactly look like a great dude, by the way. You know, and I'm not just saying that based on the way he looks. Some of the things he has said over the years. And he's not exactly the greatest dude. I think he slid into a critic's DM, DMs once. I think he did that once as an example. But he hits Bregman. But here's the killer. And this is the... Eduardo Nunez debacle moment that Yankee fans at least were able to enjoy tonight if they actually watch this game. I'm not sure how many Yankee fans watch this game. I'm not sure how many Yankee fans are actually listening right now. I mean, would a Yankee fan download a podcast that says Evan Roberts talks about Astros, Red Sox, and Dodgers, Brewers? Then again, I say this to anybody listening, would anybody download this podcast? I don't know. I don't know. That's not my business. I don't really care. That's fine. But Julie Gurriel hits a ground ball. Not a ground ball. A little chopper to third base. I mean, this is the most routine double play you'll ever see. And I don't know what the hell Nunez is thinking. Darling is speculating. Well, it was such a, you know, the, the chop of it made him think he had to, had to rush it. He didn't have to rush anything. It was going to be the easiest double play in the world. And he just drops it. I, I think it was in the transition. Oh, my God, did that screw them. Because now, all of a sudden, two on, nobody out. But wait, but wait. Kelly gets the next two guys out. Of course he does, including striking out Marwin Gonzalez. And then Correa gets the big hit, and the Astros take the lead. What a killer. I mean, my God, what an absolute killer error by Eduardo Nunez crusher and this would surprise nobody Verlander 
Part of Verlander's greatness is that he is an ace in every sense of the word. And what an ace does, what Tom Glavin couldn't do in Game 5 of the 06 NLCS, is give you that lockdown inning. I don't know where that anger came from. I guess when I'm watching playoff games, I think back to my own playoff failures as a fan. And I always think of Tommy Glavin failing me as a Met fan in Game 5 of the NLCS. Everybody wants to talk about Spezio in Game 2 or Beltron striking out looking or Aaron Heilman. Game 5 of that series actually bothers me a lot too. But Verlander barely breaks a sweat, pitches a lockdown sixth inning. I wasn't surprised A.J. Hinch went to the bullpen. He probably looks at Verlander and says, look, you gave me six strong innings. You walked four guys. You had that real rocky fifth inning. But outside of the rocky fifth inning, man, he was damn efficient. He really was. That fifth inning, I think he threw 30 pitches in that fifth inning, maybe more. And the rest of the game, what did he throw over the other five innings? Very, very efficient performance by Verlander. And I looked this up during one of the commercial breaks because Verlander has become one of these great postseason pitchers. He really has, especially over the last few years. So I wanted to go back on his numbers because his postseason numbers aren't – they're good. They're good. Don't get me wrong. They're not remarkable. And I found where they are remarkable, all right? If you take away his first two postseasons – 2006 with the Tigers. Yankee fans remember that because he pitched against the Yankees in the first round. And 2011, which was actually his second postseason. He missed it for five years with the Detroit Tigers. If you take away 6-11, and 11, where he was very rocky in those starts, and I haven't done the math on tonight, but it's not really going to do much of a difference because tonight's line was six innings, two runs. So it's not going to change much. But since then, so now you're including 2012 and beyond. Justin Verlander, the adult. Justin Verlander, the grown man in the postseason. Nine wins, three losses, and a 2.12 ERA in the postseason if you take away his first two postseasons. Because his overall postseason numbers, 12-6, and 6, 308, it's fine. It's good. But it shows you that really what Verlander has done is he's picked it up since 2012. As a 29-year-old and beyond, that's when he's really become this dominant, dominant postseason pitcher. And that's exactly what he is. And it's incredible, man, because at the end with Detroit, I thought he was done. I'll never forget. We were talking about this a year ago. Um, Berlander at the deadline. Should the Yankees go after him? And, you know, my thought at the time was, well, I don't know how much he has left. It's a bad contract. Eh, you know, just be bringing another relic. Is that really what you want to do? I had no idea. And come on, let's all be honest with each other. I know we all love to pretend we're, we know everything. We don't know everything, okay? We make a lot of mistakes, but there's a lot of mistakes that we make that you can understand why we made it. Who the hell thought Justin Verlander was going to go to Houston and do all of this? And it also leads to my speculation that something's in the water in Houston. Because how about Ryan Presley, who comes in in the seventh inning? Ryan Presley, who I own for about five minutes in fantasy this year for as a holds guy with Minnesota. Ryan Presley goes to Houston. He, he's, a, he's dominant. He goes to Houston. He's Mariano Rivera circa 1996. I mean, does that make sense to anybody? But that's baseball, Susan, right? Isn't that what they say? And he did a good job tonight, too, because he comes in against the bottom of the order. He works around an error. He gets through the seventh inning. 
and the Astros are now cruising to a victory because they were able to break it open against Brandon Workman in the ninth inning. That's the thing about this Red Sox bullpen so far in the four games against the Yankees and now the first game against the Astros. They have been a very bend-but-don't-break bullpen, but if you're going to ask for five innings out of them, which is exactly what Alex Cora asked for today, you're going to get that implosion at some point. You're going to get it. And that's exactly what happened. By the way, you know, sometimes they give these stats on these broadcasts and you say, do I really need that stat? There was one number, there were a few numbers that Brian Anderson gave tonight about Mookie Betts that I always speculated about, but I never had a fact on. And that is his success against good pitching, which is always really interesting. Like, how does a guy do against really good pitching? Is a guy somebody that beats up on bad pitching and struggles against really good pitching? Because I've heard a lot of Yankee fans say that about Giancarlo recently. Say, ah, he's a bully, you know? And maybe he is. I mean, watching him every day, did it, did it feel like he was? I don't know. It, it more felt like he was really streaky in that when he was going on a good streak, he'd beat anybody. And when he was struggling, everybody would get him out. But I thought that about Aaron Judge last year. Now, I didn't think that about Aaron Judge this year. It's a different year. But last year, I thought at times Aaron Judge was a very bully-like hitter. Listen to these numbers they gave about Mookie Betts. This is, in, this is insane. Against the top 10 ERA guys in baseball, Mookie Betts this year hit 432. <laughs> I mean, what the, what the hell? The, t- the top 10 guys in ERA this year. So, I mean, you could think about who's on that list. Blake Snell's on that list. We know that. Justin Verlander's on that list. We know that. Uh, Trevor Bauer, I think, qualified. He's on that list. He hit 432 against the guys top 10 in the ERA in the American League. Absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, I mentioned earlier that I started this podcast when Gurriel hit the three-run homer. I was confident the Astros would win. I can now officially say the Astros won 7-2 and Nooney made the final out. So I feel very good about that. But that was a great stat about Mookie Betts. Great, great stat. Now let me get to the umpiring a little bit. James Hoy was all over the place behind the plate. I thought he was very, very inconsistent. As far as the challenges today were concerned... The Bregman play in which he was out at second in the third inning on the caught stealing, they reviewed it, and I don't know if they decided that he was, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it or that he was actually out because he overslid the bag. I'm not sure which way they went, but I always say this with replay. Just stick with what you called unless it's obvious. That's how I feel. Unless it's obvious, stick with what you got. And let me get to Joe West because I got a lot of interesting feedback on this on Twitter. And Ernie, our uh, midday producer, made the same point, and it is very true. My first reaction on the throw to second on a stolen base that just drilled Joe West, my first reaction is, oh, my God, he barely reacted. I mean, the ball pounds off his body, and he barely made a move. It was like no sell in a WWE ring. And it is a good point. You know, if you're Joe West, can you make more of an effort to get out of the way? Because that could have cost the Houston Astros a run. It could have in that that ball's going into center field. And Joe West's colossal body blocked the baseball from going anywhere. You're a major league umpire. You're an NFL official. You're an NBA official. You need to have some bit of athleticism. You know, Dick Bavetta was old, but man, he ran up and down the court like his ass was on fire. If you're Joe West, country Joe West, 
you know, you need to make a little bit more of an effort, just a little bit, just just a tad bit. But either way, the Astros win game one. It's a horrendous loss for the Boston Red Sox because David Price is on the mound in game two. (laughs) I mean, that's why it's horrendous. And, you know, I feel bad saying this to any of the Red Sox fans listening because they've had a really good year, and they do have a really good team. They do. I'm a huge fan of Mookie Betts. You know, we went through the numbers before about him. Uh, J.D. Martinez has had MVP years. Xander Bogart's incredibly underrated. Uh, I, I like the – I mean, I don't have any issue with a lot of the Red Sox players. But are they nearly as good as the Astros? Does anybody really think they're nearly as good as the Houston Astros? I don't think that. Especially look at the way this series is lining up now. If they don't win with Chris Sale on the mound, and look, Chris Sale versus Justin Verlander. I mean, these are two guys that are going to finish in the top five in the American League Cy Young voting. And if Sale didn't shut down with two DL stints, he probably wins the Cy Young. But right now, it probably is going to be Blake Snell. And depending how, on how voters want to treat Sale, because he missed a lot of time, we're talking about two and three in the AL Cy Young vote. I think it's reasonable to think that's where Verlander and Sale are. But after Sale... Your number two guy is a guy that nobody can trust in the postseason in David Price. So I think there's a really good chance the Red Sox are going back to Houston 0-2. And you've got Garrett Cole, who's been unbelievable this season. Again, something in the water in Houston, Texas. But this Astro team, they got that look again. They really do. They've got that look Like, they're getting back there. And it's tough to do that in baseball. And that's why we haven't seen a lot of teams repeat as world champions. But they got that look. We'll see. Game two with David Price against Garrett Cole. I don't know if I'm going to do an instant reaction podcast of that one. I'm not not sure. I'm not promising. You know what? I'll just give you an answer. I'm not doing an instant reaction podcast to game two Red Sox-Astros. I like this one because it was a Saturday. I'm not on the air on Sunday. You also have the Dodger game, which I'm about to get to. So I think that's my criteria. Let me get to the Dodger game. This was obviously a tremendous victory for the L.A. Dodgers because when they're losing 3-0, and not only when they're losing 3-0, when the seventh inning rolls around, And they are finally putting something together against the Brewer bullpen. Muncie draws that walk. Manny Machado, who Yankee fans and Met fans, they're drooling all over him. He gets a hit. Bellinger gets a hit. And now the Dodgers have the bases loaded and nobody out. And Jeremy Jeffress comes in, who has been a different guy over the last two months. He was dominant, I'd say, between May and August, if I had to guess. Just watching him a lot. Yes, yes, he was on my fantasy team. Yes, that's true. Gives up the hit to Jock Peterson. All right? It's a 3-1 to one game. The bases are loaded. There's one out, or nobody out. He gets a huge strikeout of Yasiel Puig. I mean, a monstrous strikeout on Puig, in which I thought on one of the check swings he went, they ruled he didn't go. He then walks Austin Barnes, because Austin Barnes all of a sudden is God. Bases loaded, one out. And Yasmani Grandal is coming to the plate. And the thing about Grandal, who is a good baseball player, okay, he has not had a good series. I mean, <laughs> there's, the, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he pulled a Gary Sanchez in this series. I thought I was watching Gary Sanchez in game one. 
But Grandal, bases loaded, one out. You've pulled within one, three to two, and he bounces into a double play in which he caps it off by sliding feet first in a first as if that's going to do, as if he's taking out the first baseman. At that moment in the game, when you're the Dodgers and you just blew this golden opportunity and it's capped off by that, do you think you're winning that game? I mean, do you think for a second you're winning that baseball game? Well, they won the baseball game. (laughs) And they won it because Justin Turner, who had a miserable game one, hits just a majestic bomb off of Jeremy Jeffress after Chris Taylor got that infield hit. Dodgers take the lead and give the Dodger bullpen credit because they get the lead, they shut it down. Baez, who was great in the second half, Ferguson was able to get a big out, Maeda was able to get a big out, and Kenley Jansen was able to pitch the ninth inning. Though I will admit, Curtis Granderson, because why not? Why not? Curtis Granderson, it looked like he was this close, and I'm, I'm holding two fingers close together, this close to hitting a game-changing home run for Milwaukee. But this was a very entertaining game. See, this game I was entertained by. They were actually able, the Milwaukee Brewers, to get a starting pitcher to go into the sixth inning. And how great. I got to give them credit. Because I find myself, and I I mentioned this on the Saturday show I did, that during game one I started rooting for the Dodgers. Because I couldn't get over, I still can't get over, two innings, one run from Gio Gonzalez. And I I get it, it worked. Brandon Woodruff comes in, he looks great, he's at a home run off Kershaw. Life is fantastic. Everybody in the bullpen yesterday did a decent job, except for Sori and Cedeno. Jeffress got the job done, Knievel got the job done, Hayter was ridiculous for three innings. I get all that, and I understand it works. And I'm a big believer, if something works, how, how the hell can I criticize it? It didn't work in Oakland, it's working in Milwaukee. But I just couldn't get past Gio Gonzalez, who's at least a competent starting pitcher. Pitches two innings. He wasn't even bad in the two innings. He gives up a home run to Manny Machado. Hey, look, it happens. Manny's good at baseball. And Craig Council decides, I'm taking him out of the game. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to my bullpen game now. Let's go. And, of course, he gets rewarded because Woodruff comes in and hits a home run off Clayton Kershaw. So it's my traditional sense of liking actual starting pitching that led me to, you know what, let's go Dodgers. I'd like to see actual starting pitchers competing in the World Series. Meanwhile, in game two, Miley went deeper into the game than Ryu. So what the hell do I know? But Wade Miley, I got to give him credit. Wade Miley has always been this really average to below average pitcher throughout Major League Baseball. Recently with the Orioles, he was with the Mariners for a while. He's bounced around. When he has been healthy this year for the Brewers, very quietly, guys had a great year. Guys had a great year. And Council got 17 outs out of him today. But the problem is, even with 17 outs, which seems as if it's an enormous number for the Brewers, because it is, because they're not usually getting that many outs from their starting pitching. When you are asking four relievers, five relievers, sometimes six relievers to get a lot of outs, you are asking for trouble because somebody's going to be bad. And in the case of game two, two guys were bad. Burns was bad and Jeffress was bad. And that's the risk 
of this strategy. It doesn't mean the strategy can't work. I'm skeptical it's going to get them seven more wins. I'm skeptical it's going to win them a championship. But was it enough to win the National League Central? Yes, when they started implementing it. I mean, they really didn't implement it during the season, so that's not a good example. But was it good enough to win the Divisional Series? Yes, absolutely. They shut the Colorado Rockies down completely. Will it be good enough to win this league championship series? Maybe. I just don't know if it's going to be good enough. You think that's going to be good enough to beat the Astros? I mean, seriously, does anybody really think that? Hey, they did have a 12-game winning streak. I give them a lot of credit for that. And Wade Miley pitched a hell of a game, and look how good the Brewers' starting pitching has been, even though they haven't asked that much out of them. They've been really, really good. And so now this series shifts to Los Angeles, where... Walker Bueller will try to bounce back in his start. And Jolice Chassin, who is the Brewer ace, I mean, you have to call him that, is going to make the start for Milwaukee with Chassin. Again, you can get five innings out of him, maybe six innings out of him, but it's still going to be all about the Brewer bullpen. What hurt them today, or what hurt them in game two, probably yesterday when you're listening, is not having Hayter. And I don't blame Council for getting three innings out of him because his attitude was, hey, once I've gotten two innings out of him, I'm not going to be able to pitch him the next day. But that hurts. I mean, that really does weaken the Brewer bullpen. And that's a part of why the strategy is tough to pull off. That a lot of your big relievers that you may use for multiple innings to win a game is not going to be available the next day. That's going to be a problem. So that series is tied 1-1. I'm very, very intrigued. I'll tell you, every time Clayton Kershaw starts, and we probably won't see him until Game 5, which would be Wednesday, Every time Clayton Kershaw starts a playoff game, man, it is, it's must-watch TV, not because Clayton Kershaw is maybe the greatest pitcher of our generation, and I say maybe because we could have a long debate about that, Pedro, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, of this generation, and by generation, what are we talking about, last 30 years maybe, about that, something like that, of my era, I'm 35 years old, right, so to me... I started understanding the baseball in front of me in 1991-1992. I have great respect for guys before my time, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, Christy Matthewson, the whole crew. But if guys I've seen, Kershaw certainly in the discussion. I should do a podcast about that. <laughs> Get like a panel on, just debate, starting pitchers. That could be fun. But it's, it's not just that he's Kershaw, it's to see what he's going to do in a big spot. And it's different from David Price. David Price is must-watch TV because you know it's going to be bad, it's just a matter of how it's going to be bad, right? With Kershaw, he's good every once in a while in these big spots. You know, I've gone through it. He's had some dominant performances in the playoffs, some money performances in the playoffs. It's just that it hasn't been on any kind of consistent basis. That's been the biggest problem. So we'll probably see him in Game 5. Could the Dodgers bring him back on short rest instead of Rich Hill? They could. I doubt they would do it. But then again, how many pitches did he actually throw on Friday night? And he didn't throw deep into the game, but 74 pitches in three innings. Eh. Stressful pitches, too. Yeah. So you're. I doubt Dave Roberts pulls him back on short rest. But the key is going to be what this series looks like, where this series goes. And I want to close on this. To my friends who are American League fans who are listening, I am not going to use this to press my beliefs on top of you. 
because I respect that you like the DH. I understand the DH. I get the DH. It's been around for a very long time. I am not a believer like some that we need to ban the DH. I'm not a fan of banning the DH. I'm a fan of choice. Okay? I'm a man of that's what you want, then just go do it. Just don't piss me off, all right? Go do what you want to do in your own home. Don't tell me what to do in my home. You understand? Well, my home is the National League. And my home saw Brandon Woodruff hit a freaking home run off of Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. That's what I saw in my house. And you know what happened in my house in game two? You know what happened? Wade Miley went two for freaking two with a double. That's what happened in my house. So you could sit there all day and talk about it. It's so boring. I hate when a pitcher hits. I shouldn't do what I'm about to do. You know what's boring? Game one of the ALCS featuring 5,000 walks, 362 hit batsmen, and a four-hour game. Hold on. How long was the game? Let me get the actual mark. Oh, I was right. Four hours and three minutes. It really wasn't that bad. I mean, I watched it. It was, it was okay. But my point is, don't walk into my house and tell me what to do. All right, that's it. I don't want to do any more about the DH. I said my piece. I want to thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. We'll call it reacting to a Saturday of baseball, Game 2 of the National League Championship Series and Game 1 of the American League Championship Series. I'll do a few of these throughout the postseason. Uh, it's fun to get uh, to get out some baseball steam because I do understand that on our radio station Monday through Friday, we can't spend as much time as I just spent talking about baseball playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about the baseball playoffs, but it can't be as extensive as what we just did. So this is uh, me letting out some baseball steam. I enjoyed it. I hope you did. Just so you know for your records, I am closing this podcast, finishing it up, Sunday morning at 12.29 a.m. I'm going to go to sleep now. Thank you for listening to this. this hold on, I'm going to get this out. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Goodbye.